Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to OEM Industry Update, a weekly podcast examining the latest news and technology trends impacting product development teams in the heavy-duty on- and off-highway equipment industries. I'm Sarah Jensen, editor of OEM Off-Highway, and in this week's episode, I'll be speaking with Jeremy Harson, Cummins Global Construction Manager, about advancements in alternative power systems and sustainability technologies. Let's take a listen now. So maybe just to kind of start, what do, what do you guys maybe see is the future of off-highway power looking like? Yeah, so everybody wants to talk about the future stuff, but if you, if you let me, I'd spend just a, maybe a minute or two talking about, you know, some of the historical and, and even the current stuff. I think, you know, future technology and off-highway honestly kind of starts now. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that we've put in production in the last few years is, is going to be the future for the off-highway market for, you know, maybe the next decade, decade and a half type of thing. So, you know, if you, if you, jumped in the time machine and maybe pushed the way back button, right? I was looking at some uh, some material that our, our marketing friends uh, here at Cummins had put together for our 100th anniversary. And, and there was a kind of a interesting graphic uh, in 1919 uh, when we kind of came around, there was this HVID product, which was, you know, kind of a flagship. Uh, and, and they compared it to our latest and greatest kind of B67, which from an off-highway perspective is our, our current flagship. At first, I thought that's kind of silly, right? But I looked at it a little bit more, and I'm like, it's actually pretty impressive. Uh, you know, you've got what used to be a three-horsepower engine, uh, and then today we're talking about something that's 325, right, on the upper end. Uh, that's cool. Uh, at, at the mm-hmm. same time, though, the thing makes like 99% less emissions, right? So 100 times the power in a little bit, and then 99% less emissions. So it's just a it's an interesting thing. Um, if you scroll maybe forward a little bit to modern times, you know, off highways been on this emissions journey since I think maybe 1996, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, that's when, you know, pure regulated emissions started to come into focus. And, you know, we were able to go through on mechanical product, I think all the way into the early 2000s. At that point, um, something called tier three came along. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started to see electric electronic engines and, and another one where it feels kind of weird to be talking about it uh, today in 21. But uh, what really happened is that's actually the current product that carried us up into 2011. And then for a lot of folks, even longer than that, because we had some kind of shift over uh, provisions to let OEMs kind of phase into the newer tech. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a whole lot of field population that's yet to turn. And, and if you look at some of the equipment life cycles, it's probably going to start happening in the next few years. And then you, you come out of tier three or into this, uh, I like to call it the emissions marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we've all got our, our stories about DOC, DPF, EGR, these kind of technologies that migrated from automotive into the off-highway world. Um, you know, tier four interim and final, it was all about how do you make, make these different Lego blocks work together in the off-highway right. world, right? It's a lot of stuff we just not dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we got ourselves in good standing by tier four final and then 
for the first time in a long time, Europe and, and the U.S. kind of diverged and, and Europe went one step further for stage five product. Uh, really, by that point, um, we're feeling pretty comfortable with the different Legos. Uh, and, and we started to think about, all right, how can we add in a lot more value? And those would be the current products that we're you know, selling the most of today. Uh, if you look at, you know, again, that six, seven example, you know, we're, we're knocking on 325 horsepower. We're talking north of a thousand foot pounds of torque just opens up a lot of opportunity. You've got downsizing, um, from used to be a, you know, nine liter engine. A lot of times you can do it with a six, seven that's common across the range above and below, uh, down speeding some of these other trends to be more fuel efficient. And then some of the other stuff is, uh, you know, start-stop functionality is something we've launched with that product. Uh, it, it definitely is a, an opportunity to even go further when you think about emission savings on things that we have right now. Um, I, the big challenge with that, I think, you know, in particular, is it's an operator acceptance. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm um, a little bit in the don't practice what I preach sometimes camp. My truck, the first thing I do sometime in the morning is... Uh, push that button to turn that off. And I have to remind yeah. myself now it's there for good reason. Um, I actually let my, my mother borrow my truck uh, not too long ago. And she, she's in the middle of the town and she'd never driven something with that. So she's freaking out a little bit thinking the truck's broke. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, it just takes some time to get through that roadblock. And, right. you know, there are examples, um, 20 ton excavator in our space is, is kind of our big application or one of them. Uh, and, and there's been downsizing trends, right? I mentioned power and torque come up, engine size goes down. Uh, there's been a pretty steady shift from six cylinder to four cylinder product in that space. So if you look at kind of the whole package of what you can do with today's stuff, you've got uh, platforms that as we've went farther in emissions, every time you pick up a little bit of fuel economy, so you got that fleet turn. Uh, you've got things like downsizing, so you can pick up another percent or two going from a bigger engine to a smaller one. And you throw something like that start stop on top of that. And, and all of a sudden you've got something that makes a pretty big difference, you know, just from a field population and the emissions and fuel consumption and things that are being put out. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, so then maybe going kind of back to the just, uh, future topics, um, how does the, the company foresee sustainability initiatives and emissions reduction technology developments in the heavy duty on and off highway industries continuing to evolve in the coming years? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the off-highway guy. Uh, mm. they, they probably don't want me talking a ton about on-highway, but I'll <laughs> give you some the limited knowledge that I have. Uh, but my, my responses are mainly off-highway. Mm. You know, the one thing we know from diesel space, and, and I think we'll continue to see it in the diesel space, and I think it's going to be the same for non-diesel technology, is we tend to lag, right, at least a few mm. years. Uh, and, and a lot of the challenges, as you think about, um, alternate power, so electric, hydrogen, those type of things, automotive still building out and, and trucks are mobile. Uh, the infrastructure to support a lot of this new tech is, is not even where it needs to be for automotive. Mm -hmm. So when you think about off-highway, uh, that gets amplified quite a bit, right? We've got equipment that's, you know, I like to say job-centric versus site-centric. So we have mm -hmm. some population, think ports, think airports, You've got a field population there that stays in one spot for pretty much its whole life. The majority of what we sell in like earth moving space, so wheel loaders, excavators, uh, those are more job site centric. They kind of do a job, they move on. Uh, you know, for me, I, I live pretty close to I-65 and, and really good for business, really bad for, for my nerves, but there's always <laughs> construction projects, right? Uh, 
when I drive by, I look, I look quite a bit. Um, I've never seen an electric plug sticking out of the dirt, right? So just, right. you know, those infrastructure challenges are real mm-hmm. and they're going to take time to kind of come along. You know, despite that, the, the market itself, definitely a push for green, right? Everybody wants mm-hmm. to be corporate responsibility, corporate initiatives to kind of drive some of this down. And despite all the obvious challenges, you've got every major market players out talking about something, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them even have, I'm going to say, commercially available product. And I think available is an important word to kind of expand on. It's not necessarily viable from a commercial perspective, right? There's a price today to be green, mm-hmm. and that's going to take some time. So if you if you think about what that journey looks like, right, we've got to figure out as we're approaching zero, how do we kind of do it in a logical way. Um, you know, there's, again, a lot of stuff you can do with with the technologies that's out there now. So why not, right? So you think right. about that fleet turn conversation. Uh, think about some of this, you know, added capability, taking advantage of downsizing, downspeeding, that start stop. The other thing that, um, you know, is starting to come around are alternate fuels uh, like HVO and, and biodiesel and different things. They've got their own scale challenges uh, and, and, you know, definitely added cost, right? Luckily, mm-hmm. there are some, some areas, California, Oregon, those type of places. I think there are some incentives or breaks for end users who might use those things. But, uh, you know, elsewhere, it's still a little more expensive. But, you know, things that we could do today are already available. Um, when you think about alternate power rollout, it's all over the place on what's going to be the the winning solution. But uh, one thing's clear, right? It's going to be not just one, it's going to be several, right? And that's going to take Mm -hmm. time to kind of build out. Mm -hmm. And as we get get through that, we're going to be talking about, you know, at least one more round of diesel, right? So I continue to tell folks like diesels, I don't think dying anytime soon, right? I think there's a a lot more to be gained. And, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 years from now, I don't expect the technology of what diesel is today is going to look a whole lot like it does 10 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming in that space. Uh, th- there will be pockets of things that take up battery or hydrogen uh, infrastructure challenges, right? They're going to limit those. I think it's good that we've got some early adopting kind of niches of the market because uh, that's going to let us kind of test it out and get better as we go. Uh, and then, you know, again, come back to maybe that job site versus, um, you know, kind of site-centric type stuff, right? Some is going to lend itself more to that infrastructure being in place. You know, some it's going to be a lot more challenging. Whatever it's going to be, right? It's got to be something that you can actually drive some scale, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people want to be green, but at the same time, not unlimited funds, right? So something's going to have to happen where the scale develops. Uh, And then the other important thing that, that we talk about here is, you think about how you get the power. Uh, so well to wheels, I think is a pretty common industry term. Um, sure. You can have hydrogen or electric, but you got to think about how that actually got made right. and, and you got to figure out, you know, ways that you can kind of decarbonize that whole emissions mm-hmm. chain. And, and that's where you get into some of these things like different shades of hydrogen, right. Depending mm-hmm. on how you make it is how green it really is. Uh, and then, you know, you also get into some interesting stuff like infrastructure bills and all that, right? Those are the type of things that are going to help accelerate this. Maybe not all the way, but, you know, definitely kind of set us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And do you have maybe any sort of insights or like or time-bound insights you may be able to provide on the progression of some of these technologies? Yeah, it, um, anything 
super definitive is, is tricky, right? Yeah. But we, we definitely have a view. Um, you know, in, in the past, we've talked NOx and PM for the most part for off-highway emissions. I think we're likely to see, you know, probably on and off-highway both, mm-hmm. right, more of a CO2 focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's probably going to come, you know, something we're not, we've not been accustomed to in the past. Mm-hmm. If you look at, you know, now to the end of the decade, I think it's going to be advancements in like diesel or current tech and to bring that NOx and CO2 levels farther down. Um, and that's probably going to roll out a little more broad. Uh, when you look at alternate power, again, like within this decade, it's pretty niche. Um, and then, you know, there's probably also going to be a lot of fault starting to kind of uh, come along or work to start laying some of the groundwork for how you build out that grid to be more green and, and thinking through that hydrogen infrastructure. When you get 2030, 2040 timeframe, it gets um, maybe a little bit more messy, mm-hmm. but you're going to have a whole lot of solutions competing in the same spaces. Uh, and again, you know, the whole time, like as different pockets come up, I think the scale capability capability comes up, scale drives some of that cost down, uh, mm-hmm. still going to take some time. And hopefully the grid continues to develop when you get into that 2040, 2050, which, you know, Cummins and a lot of other companies and, and, and industries and governments talk about you know, hopefully you've got a strong grid in place that's renewable, you've got hydrogen infrastructure, uh, and then you're going to see hopefully like a really wide deployment of this low carbon technology. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, one, two, three decade lumps there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And so what are maybe some of the key alternative fuels Commons itself is researching? Yeah, most of them. Um, it's it's you've seen a lot in the yeah. news, and not only researching but investing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we invest in markets like on highway rails, kind of come along strong, uh, and then we look to leverage those things in off highway markets, and obviously add to as you need. And we've always invested in future diesel tech. I don't see you know electrification or hydrogen being different, right? We're we're definitely mm-hmm. going to continue to invest in those. Uh, and again, you know, continue to invest in that diesel lineup because we, we do believe that's got a, a long runway. If you look at that non-diesel investment, um, it's it's been a pretty logical and, and really pretty fast progression on how to build up that capability. I think, you know, pre-2018, we were starting to think about it. Uh, in 2018, I believe around that time frame, we, we made the first acquisition of Bramo, which was low voltage batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got low voltage, you got high voltage. So not too long after there's a company called Johnson Matthew that was acquired. Uh, so now you've got low voltage and high voltage capability. Uh, and after that, it's all right, we've got some of these things. We, we announced what we call the electrified power business unit as a, of a, like an official operating segment. All right. So now we've got batteries, we've got a segment, you know what to do with them, right? So mm-hmm. you start thinking about integration. Uh, acquisition of a company called EDI, which kind of specialized in that powertrain integration of some of those things. Uh, and then not too long after that, you, you start to hear more about hydrogen. Uh, and it's like, all right, you know, electric's not the only game in town. Uh, so there was some acquisition in place to buy fuel cell capabilities, uh, as well as um, electrolyzer capabilities. And hydrogenics is one you probably heard about in the news. Uh, at that point, you sit back and you're thinking, well, we've got electrified power business unit. Maybe that's not enough, right? See, so it kind of morphs into what we now call new power business unit that's a little more all-encompassing. And, you know, since that time frame, I think in 2019-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, it's we've got fuel cells. Uh, now you need to figure out how to store that hydrogen. Uh, so we announced the JV with a company called Improx. Uh, so now we've got this tank capability in the pipeline. And, you know, since that point, it's been, you know, kind of a lot of cool projects where they're rolling out some of these electrolyzers. 
and actually putting them into practice to making some of that green power. So pretty, pretty fast and a whole lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are there any of the um, alternative power sources you guys are working on that you feel might be better suited for use in heavy duty off-highway equipment specifically? Yeah, and, and that's where it gets it's interesting and, and fragmented, you know, in a, in a fast way. Um, <laughs> there, there, you know, there's common threads, right. That you see in the industry, uh, you know, again, that the point that kind of sticks out to me is it's not going to be the one size fits all thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. going to differ. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, even within a given application, there's going to be different solutions that are going to work depending mm-hmm. on what that particular machine's doing. A lot of it comes down to, you know, duty cycle, the equipment, you know, how much space do you have to package stuff? Uh, operational expectations, which I think are are really, really key because I believe people are so accustomed to the convenience of diesel uh, that maybe some of the expectations we're going to see in the early days for the alternate power are probably going to be a little bit unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be some something people get used to. Uh, that infrastructure availability, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, some of it's probably personal preference. You see different mm-hmm. companies kind of staking their claim on different technologies and, and that's okay. Um, and then there's a lot of applications that beyond clean diesel, at least in that near to medium term, it's really hard to see something else that actually does the job well. Um, you know, compact construction has been one. You know, it largely used urban settings uh, and everybody's kind of talking about this one. But um, when you're in the urban setting and you got that small equipment, uh, electrification makes a lot of sense. Right. You've Mm -hmm. got a a low duty cycle equipment. You can plug it in. It's all convenient Mm -hmm. Uh, outside of the urban setting, a little more challenging. Right. And then definitely as you get farther up in that equipment range, that that rate of adoption for anything not diesel, I think, goes down. Uh, You know, hydrogen's come on strong here in the last couple of years, uh, year, year and a half at least. And OEMs are starting to think through that. And that's another one where the infrastructure is not quite there yet. And, and packaging, right? It's electrification's hard. I think packaging hydrogen is a whole nother kind of level of considerations that people are working through. Uh, one of the things that, that I've observed just talking to a lot of customers is, and this applies in the diesel world and it's going to apply in, in non-diesel this metal right on, on some of these equipment is half inch, inch thick. It's not easy to move. Right. Uh, it's expensive tooling and, and, and those type of things, right. That OEMs are thinking about. Uh, so, so what I've at least observed is there's a reluctance to want to redesign that because I think everybody's looking at that adoption picture and saying, you know, not super high volumes in the near mm-hmm. term. Do I want to invest now? Um, so you end up maybe with some suboptimal uh, installations, you know, as tests or whatever, but, you know, the other thing to me that kind of sticks out, you see just a lot of weird looking equipment, yeah. <laughs> uh, things that are packaged in spaces that you're like, is that really production? So, you know, that, that's going to be an awkward phase we work through as an industry. And mm-hmm. I think that that job site centric versus site centric uh, mindset comes back in, you know, e- even in, in a place where there's a population of equipment. So think like an airport again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a point to where you electrify things. And, and then, you know, the grid's only so good. And at that case, right, then you probably got something like hydrogen that comes in to supplement so that they may coexist in some spaces of the market. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the general kind of rules of thumb for folks are small construction when it goes right. It's going to be EV. When you get into that medium duty construction, you're, you're going to see hydrogen and electric kind of coexist. And then when you get into bigger stuff, you know, I think hydrogen is probably going to win out more where the migration actually happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. 
Well, since you're on the topic of hydrogen a bit, how maybe does does hydrogen itself uh, fit in with Cummins' overall alternative fuels strategy? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's right there in the mix. So I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier some of the investments, right, between fuel cells, uh, electrolyzers, storage tanks, all those things, you know, from, from an off-highway lens, again, we think it finds its place in some of that more demanding equipment, higher duty cycle, um, you know, things that just can't get EV infrastructure in place, right? That's where it's going to come. If you look at that technology portfolio, it, it actually fits in really well. Uh, so we've been acquiring, you know, the battery technology some of the electric drivetrain stuff and a lot of those pieces you actually reuse either in parallel or uh, or along with the fuel cell. Um, so if you think about, you know, what a fuel cell does, it's basically a battery that makes its own electric, right? You feed it some hydrogen and it pulls in some oxygen and, and some magic stuff happens inside the box that I'm, I'm not smart enough to talk about, but... <laughs> you know, what happens is an electric, uh, electric generation, right? So mm-hmm. you end up with some kind of base load that the equipment needs to do its job. And then there are peaks and valleys along the way. So that fuel cell is kind of right there to take that base load. Uh, and then if you need power on demand, you've got batteries on board, right? So these things kind of work like a hybrid system together, a fuel cell and a battery. And so that battery gives you that instant, uh, instant jolt that you need. And then when you're in down periods, that, that fuel cells, you know, doing its base work, but also charging that battery back up, you know, so those things just work really well together. And, and the trick or the secret sauce is really how you kind of balance that for the application and integrate it, you know, from a Cummins perspective, that that's one of the things that we're proud ourselves of being good on, right, is, is the integration aspect. And I don't see this being any different, right? I think we're going to you know, build that capability up more and more over time. And that's going to really be a spot where we probably shine in the market. Uh, and, you know, we're talking fuel cells, we're talking batteries, and, and obviously we're talking tanks, right? So you're starting to touch on a lot of the major pieces of the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what about um, hydrogen internal combustion engines? How do those maybe fit in with Cummins strategy? Yeah, good question. So uh, there's a lot of press activity lately um, on that one and stuff that we're doing there. Uh, folks would have seen we've we received a grant from the UK government uh, to start work on medium duty and heavy duty engines. So it's it's definitely something we're excited about. Um, a cool thing about hydrogen, you know, I mentioned scalability earlier, right? It's how do you make sure you got some scale on at least parts of that system? Mm-hmm. Um, hydrogen engine uh, is is really shares a lot of parts with a diesel engine. So, you know, you've got the top end that's, that's different, uh, the spark ignition system, the head, uh, you know, some of those things. But when you look at some of those base kind of um, powertrain or base power cylinder components is the right way, you know, cranks, rods, blocks, those type of things, they're common uh, mm-hmm. with the diesel in a lot of cases. And even in for automotive markets, natural gas, right? So you've got kind of some instant scale. Uh, on at least part of the system, which goes a long way, similar for after treatment, right? It could be some common scale there with some of the diesel solutions. And then the other cool thing is kind of back to this complementary um, aspect of this, the, the same, um, you know, tanks and different things that we would be using in that fuel cell space uh, would be usable for a hydrogen combustion engine. So you've got kind of commonality and scalability both ways, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so are there, in addition to those benefits, are there other benefits for using a hydrogen combustion engine? And maybe what are some of the applications they would work well in? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, the benefits, I think it depends a lot on who you are in that chain, right? So for the environment, you know, big opportunity to kind of decarbonize a lot of that work that's getting done. You know, again, you got to factor in the type of hydrogen you're using, but if you assume there's green hydrogen there, eventually, um, you know, you're able to do work with a lot less carbon, you know, output. From a Cummins perspective, talked about scalability, um, you know, sharing some of those components with diesel. Uh, the good thing with that too, is you use the components, you also kind of get that reliability and durability that we've developed for the last hundred years. Right. Uh, and then the other um, really convenient thing is we have a lot of manufacturing lines set up to make engines. So the, mm. the hydrogen combustion goes really nicely down those, I think. Uh, from an end user perspective, you know, it, today hydrogen is more expensive than diesel. Uh, but if you think about options that could get you green, you know, having a hydrogen combustion system is probably going to be a little bit of a lower cost solution and full on fuel cell or something else, right. To do that same job. You know, again, there's tax breaks and incentives and things that probably already exist and more than I'm sure will. Uh, the other cool thing is it, it sounds like an engine. Um, I was the annoying kid who, you know, got the pop can stuck on my bicycle tire. And when I pedaled faster, I wanted to hear that and get some satisfaction out of that. So I, I feel a little bit the same way on some of the engine stuff. When you, when you press the throttle, you, probably are expecting and want to hear some kind of a response um, or feedback from an OEM. There's a lot of interest because it, it's, if you think about the full drive line, you pull out one engine and stick another one in and you still got to package tanks and all those things, but a big chunk of your, you know, drive line that happens behind what Cummins would provide uh, is going to be common, you know, with your diesel setup. So that's good. Uh, Technicians, right? You think about the, the poor folks that got to work on these things in the field, right? You know all these different technologies. Mm-hmm. One engine, they're, they're different, right? But one engine looks a whole lot and feels a whole lot like another engine. And there's some comfort level. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're all creatures of habit, myself included. And, and so the more familiar something is or, or feels, right? I think that's a good thing. Right. You know, your question on who can it be used for? Uh, on highway, you know, again, I, I don't speak fluently for on highway most of the time, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to, to range of, of load, right? Mm-hmm. So they talk urban, uh, they talk kind of regional haul, they talk long haul. Uh, when you look at this urban urban example, I think you're, you're probably thinking EV is a good option there, your dedicated route, you know, mm-hmm. the infrastructure is probably easier to get. When you think about something that drives cross country, it becomes a little bit harder. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's the hydrogen hubs and different things kind of build out. I think you'll find hydrogen plays well in that long haul space. Uh, Off highway wise, again, it comes back to some of those more demanding applications from a duty cycle perspective. Uh, We, we again, like to talk medium duty excavators. It's it's kind of our our bread and butter uh, from an off highway business perspective. So we've definitely got some excitement for this technology there. You know, again, packaging challenges. and, And I think probably some, conversations around operational expectations. Uh, mm. So if you, if you run an eight hour shift, right, that requires some amount of hydrogen on board, right? You got right. to package all that. Mm. Uh, if you're willing to think about maybe four hours worth of hydrogen and, and a top off in the middle of the day, that packaging requirement reduces. So it's just a lot of good conversations that need to happen to make sure it's done well. You know, right. I think the good part is it's a, it's a technology that doesn't, doesn't feel overly restrictive from one application to another right? It's all about, can you get enough hydrogen on board to do the job? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And so if we maybe circle back to uh, battery technology, where is Cummins currently at with its development 
in that area and maybe how does the company see the technology advancing in the coming years? Yeah, so it, um, believe it or not, we said we started off in what, 2017, 18 time frame. We're already on the third gen of battery development. Wow. Uh, this stuff just turns really fast. Yeah. We're used to one diesel cycles, three years, sometimes more. Uh, the battery stuff, we're, we're turning mm-hmm. through it pretty quick. Uh, there's investments in a lot of different technology across, you know, key markets, right? It's like everything else. There's going to be markets that adopt early. You want to target the product for that, learn from it. Mm-hmm. So you couple those field learnings with some of this in-house testing that we do. Uh, and that helps us kind of stay at the forefront of some of this. Uh, you know, changes coming next few years. I, I think probably incremental changes on the technologies and, and products that are here. Uh, five to 10 years out, you know, hard to say for sure, but probably see some step changes in cell chemistry or makeup mm-hmm. and, and the good piece is kind of all along the way, right? As fast as the tech's moving, we're kind of learning about things like battery management systems and software. Those are pretty kind of one-off per installation mm-hmm. today. Uh, as you learn more and more and more, those become more modular and portable and, and it just becomes an easier exercise, right? When the next installation comes along, you know, the battery packs themselves, uh, we have good ones today, right? There, there are projects going on with real life OEMs and, and things that are in the field, um, you know, good there. Uh, and again, right, the, the future is going to be more of that. And then also kind of packaging the same battery technology, right, with some of these fuel cell options and other things. So, yep. Okay. And so then are there are maybe any other sustainability related technologies or initiatives the company is currently working on? Yeah, for sure. We've got some pretty prescriptive targets or aspirations that leadership's laid out and, and, and they're going across the business. Uh, if you look like 2030 timeframe, you're talking about things like uh, greenhouse gas reductions from facilities and operations. So, you know, it could be output of the facility, it could be VOCs from paint, those type of things. A lot of work around, you know, how do you work with some of these big fleets to reduce greenhouse gas, right? And that could take a lot of different forms. Uh, also some focus on natural resources and using those well, um, you know, make sure you got circular life cycles, get rid of water waste and facilities, big challenge or big opportunities, not challenges, big opportunities in packaging, right? So you think about mm-hmm. making sure that's recyclable uh, and even stuff kind of down to the more minutia of like making sure you get rid of plastic silverware. That's one use in the cafeteria, right? right. So every little bit helps mm-hmm. when you get out to 2050, it, a lot of the same, but bigger. Um, aspirational targets are, you know, carbon neutrality for the business, you know, pretty much eliminate waste. And we always say to have a, a net positive impact in all the communities where we're at. So a lot of, a lot of hard work and, and a lot of investment and, and time is going to be put into making those things happen. But, you know, definitely we feel leadership commitment from top down to, to make sure that we achieve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then maybe besides power sources, are there any other market trends you're excited about? Yeah. So as part of my uh, construction segment role, uh, Moonlight is our our digital connectivity leader. uh, And that's been a trend that I've been pretty excited about for the last couple of years. Um, You know, just a lot of opportunity there and opportunity for us to partner with our OEMs. And we have joint customers. So from our view, uh, for us to succeed, our OEMs in the middle have to succeed. So what we want to do is leverage that digital capability uh, improve that customer experience for the owner of the equipment. And then that's going to build preference for our OEM customers. And then obviously that means we sell more products. So we're kind of approaching it that way. The opportunity space is huge. Um, if you look at an off-highway repair, right, or a customer, 
you know, again, mm -hmm. a lot of these things are off grid. Right. Uh, so when you have a, have somebody that has a problem, right. And they call the shop, you know, a lot of times you could be a couple hours away, three, four hours away. In some cases, uh, most uh, of the repairs, like historically, that technician leaves with little to no information, right? So they're driving out two, three hours, trying to figure out what's wrong, mm -hmm. driving back to a shop, uh, ordering some parts and, and, you know, kind of repeat, you got redundant travel and different right. things in there, which just means the customer sitting down longer. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things we're trying to work through is to get the right connections in place to where when they have a problem and you call a distributor or a dealer, you know, we've got some idea of what's going on, right? And then mm -hmm. ideal case, you throw the part on the truck, you drive once, fix it good for customers. Uh, they're up and running quicker, really good for, for service locations. So the capability, availability of capable techs uh, and availability of ones that travel, uh, it's hard to come by. So the more efficient you make any given tech, uh, the better it is, you know, I kind of crossed that whole chain. And then the other thing that's interesting for, for digital, there's this autonomy trend that's been going on in different parts of the market. It. Mm -hmm. uh, so now you're moving from, you know, traditionally having a, a person in the cab driving the machine. There are some cases where that may be totally remote control, mm -hmm. maybe no person at all and just all system based. So when you think about an engine that, that's in an equipment where there's nobody to notice a check engine light, you know, all of a sudden just being able to see that kind of remotely becomes even more important. So there's just mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, to add value. Um, and then if you think about it, a lot of this autonomy stuff is even targeted to be able to get jobs done faster and more efficient. So just having that connectivity that helps mm -hmm. that autonomy happen is also, you know, kind of indirectly going to lower emissions output for the industry. So a lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of cool stuff there. Right. Okay. Well, maybe just to kind of cap off the conversation, is there maybe like, um, one piece of advice that you could offer or have one ask to the marketplace and what might those be? Yeah, my, my advice is um, probably a little bit too informal, but I think it's saddled up. I think we've got a really kind of interesting decade, maybe a decade plus coming our way. Mm -hmm. You know, again, a lot of, a lot of trends that, that people are going to need to react to in the OEM mm -hmm. space, uh, you know, regulatory stuff. You're going to have, you know, likely more emissions coming at the end of the decade. We're going to have all these different technologies that are, are being kind of put in front of people, right? So if you mm -hmm. walk the trade show floor, a year ago and probably a year from now, you would think, my goodness, the market is just going to be all this new stuff in five years. Uh, not the case, right? So it, I think the the recommend, the, yeah, the request or advice would be to kind of just get ready for that embrace. And, you know, request wise, I would just plea for patience, right? I think mm -hmm. as, as new technology comes out, it stimulates a lot of interest, which is great. Uh, and people kind of want to jump straight from seeing something on the trade floor to a demonstration mm -hmm. unit. And, right. and it's a lot of work and effort to put into that, right? So we need to just yeah. make sure that we're throttling that activity to when the market's actually gonna pull it uh, and just kind of go about it in a rational way. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and provide some insights into the work Cummins is doing and trends you guys are seeing in the industry. Thank you for uh, having us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of OEM Industry Update. Thank you to Jeremy for providing his insights into the alternative power technologies Cummins is developing for the heavy-duty equipment markets. And be sure to tune in each week for another episode to stay up-to-date on our ever-changing industry.